0: In the month of May, five every every day. In the month of May,
1: Welcome back to the 5k every day in the month of may podcast i'm jeff poland and i'm so glad that you are with us for the journey this is day three and to be honest this is the day when your body is probably starting to wonder what in the world you are trying to do to it is you crazy listen if you are sore tired and wondering if it was a good idea to be a part of this challenge right now i want to encourage you that you are not alone remember that anything that is worth doing takes work to do Yes, your muscles, bones, and joints are sore. Yes, you may be tired from waking up earlier than normal or staying up later than normal or from just trying to cram a 5K into an already full schedule. But I hope that this challenge will do so much more for you than just earn you a t-shirt at the end. I hope that this challenge gives you a jumpstart into a full life of feeling better, of being more active, and of appreciating the body that the good Lord has given you to take care of and to use as a means of accomplishing His will here on earth through you. I know for me, I don't want to just make it through and sort of survive life. I want to thrive. The good Lord has given me breath of life. He fills my lungs with air. He fills my legs with enough strength for the day. He has a plan and a purpose for my life. And I want to keep my body in good enough shape to be ready and willing to be used by him at any moment to live out the plan and purpose that he has for my life. So that is my hope and my desire and the reason that I try to get out each day and keep active. I find a daily 5K to be a great way to stay strong physically as well as a great help for staying strong mentally, emotionally, and spiritually as well. What are you hoping to get out of this challenge? What is driving you and keeping you motivated? Let me know by leaving a comment on the 5K May 2022 Day 3 blog post at www.jeffpolanmusic.com. I love to hear your stories, to hear your heart, and to pray for you as well. If you haven't had a chance to do it yet, I would strongly encourage you to take a moment to browse through the check-in number one blog post comments at www.jeffpullamusic.com and get a sense for all of the amazing people who are participating in this year's challenge. We're coming from all different places geographically, physically, and spiritually. I love that God has brought us together for this challenge. After you take a moment to browse through the comments on the blog post, consider replying to any of them that really stick out to you for one reason or another. Believe it or not, I actually read every single comment. The first year that I opened this challenge up to others and invited some friends to join me, I actually responded to every single comment. I have long since given up on that crazy hope. Praise God that there are just too many people in the challenge to actually be able to keep doing that. But I do take the time to reply to some of the comments as I'm reading them and I feel led to do so. You would actually be helping me out a ton and increasing the value of this challenge for everyone, including yourself, if you would take a moment and reply and encourage someone on that blog post today. If the blog post is not the best place for you to do that, consider engaging with the comments and the daily fun photo challenge posts on whatever social media platform you happen to be seeing them. I'm old, so Facebook is a place where I most often see and engage with posts, but I know that some people are posting to Instagram, Twitter, and Strava as well. Speaking of the daily fun photo challenge, today's challenge is to run or walk with someone who is not in the 5K May 2022 challenge. This is going to be an especially difficult challenge for me because I think I have tried to get everyone I know into the 5K May 2022 challenge, but I'm still gonna rack my brain and look through my contacts and see if I can find a way to accomplish this challenge somehow, some way. Hopefully you can too. I'm looking forward to seeing those photos. All right, let's go ahead and keep this podcast rolling with a song from If We, which was a singer-songwriter duo that included myself and a good buddy of mine, Rocky Favia Jr. We recorded this song several years ago at Taylor's Playground Recording Studio. It is on the If We Won album, and the song is called Run, Run, Run. Run,
0: run, run, the race before us, look, 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 all to Jesus, live, live, live for the glory his name give, give, give all our worship, love, love, love. He deserves it, live, live, live for the glory of his name. Oh, let's run, 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 race before us. Look, 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 all to Jesus, live, live. live. Let's give, give, give All our worship Love, love, love He serves it Live, live, live for the glory of His name We will receive We will raise Our hands to God A shout of praise For He is good Love endures We trust His heart We trust His word
1: Jump into the daily Bible reading. I wanted to give you a chance to hear from a very special guest, a great friend of mine, and a fellow 5K mayor, Dean Plumley. All right. Well, I have the pleasure and the privilege of sitting down and talking to my good friend and also kind of running buddy, Dean Plumley. Uh, Dean, you've been on the 5K every day in the month of May podcast in the past. I know a lot of people even asked me, "Is Dean going to be on this year?" And so I'm really excited that you're going to join us. For anyone who is just tuning into this podcast, hasn't listened in the previous years, uh, maybe they don't have any idea who you are. Can you just tell us who is Dean Plumley?
2: Awesome! Well, it's great to be back, Jeff. You know, we started 5K May, and it was a rescue from the epidemic. Like we uh, we were trapped in our house, and we grabbed our neighbor kids and my kids, and that's when we started running. And then uh, Jeff decided to be mean and told me that I should get a certain shoe because old guys wear them. So I did and actually have continued, uh, not not as consistent as Jeff, but continued running for the last few years and really enjoying it. So 5K May was a bit of a lifestyle change for me.
1: Dean, some people are going to want to know what were those magical shoes.
2: Yeah, yeah. So the old guy shoes are hokas. And honestly, the first day I ran in them, All the things that were hurting stopped hurting. And so uh, my background, I grew up in West Virginia and about 25 uh, plus years ago, I took a test and it said that career wise, I should either be a ministry, work with athletes or work with animals. And so I became a missionary to surfers. And so I did that for about 20 years and I worked in the action sports world with surfers, skaters, snowboarders, wakeboarders that whole world. And then um, uh, there was a ministry that had had a huge impact on my life looking at Jesus. And in 2017, they invited me. uh, They said, you've been a part of the family for years. Come be part of the team. And so I went on staff with Sun Life Ministries. And now I train, coach, and mentor uh, youth pastors. And I live in St. Augustine, Florida, a beautiful place. And I just got through running this year. Previously, both of my sons ran with me. They're now both in high school just finished track season. So they're excited about 5k May. But this year, my 11 year old daughter is doing it for the first time. And we just finished day two. And she was a champ. She did great. And uh, we're running and walking. I keep telling her it's not a race. It's an effort challenge. We just have to finish. And so we, we run and we walk and she has done really great and wants to stick with it and it's a lot of fun running with your kids you know now unfortunately today was busy so we had to run around lunchtime in florida which is a whole nother challenge
1: i love that you are doing this challenge i love that you are bringing your family along with it and you sent me a picture of you guys all out in your 5k may shirts but poor mural she didn't have a 5k may shirt she didn't finish but this is the year that that changes I love that. Now, I just want to, you know, as somebody who has been doing this, who got started in the 2020 5k May with the pandemic and everything, you know, you've been through the first week of this thing and all the pains and the groans and your kids are experiencing that, especially your daughter right now. What kind of encouragement could you give to the runners and or walkers who are participating in the challenge this year?
2: So when I first started running, I thought I had run years ago, but I'm not a runner. And uh, I thought, well, I just got to get my stamina up and stuff. I didn't realize that every tendon, every ligament, every toe, every piece of your ankle, knees, back, all has to adjust to this running thing. And so I really encourage you, you know, you're going to experience possibly some soreness. But here's a key for me and my kids is not to push so hard. Like you can walk it, walk it, you know, walk. The first three days, and then the fourth day, run just a little bit of it and then start to tilt those tables. But the key is you've got to build up everything, not just your stamina. Um, It's not just your leg muscles, it's your shoulders, it's your back that hurts, you know, everything, your neck, everything's got to get used to it. So ease into it, put your toe in the water, and then just slip in. You don't have to come out. Running like a Kenyan on day one. You know, you can you can just ease in and then you enjoy it a lot more because the soreness is not so bad. And it's actually a lot of fun to run when you're not in pain.
1: Yeah, I think that's some great advice. I know for me, I have been through some seasons where I'm training for a marathon or something and I'm running really hard. And I love running marathons, but Uh, It does suck a little bit of the joy out of the running. So it's fun to just get out and run with people and make it social, right? It's kind of a cool activity where you can actually talk with people. And that's one of the reasons why I love that you're even doing this as a family. I'm sure there's some great conversations that are happening out on the pavement. Maybe not just yet. Maybe right now the conversation is, Dad, when is this going to be done but hopefully, and the idea is, you know, Jesus wanted us, I think, to make disciples as we go, as we're on the road, as we're going. And I think even during 5K May, it's a great opportunity to be making disciples. And that's one of the things that I love and appreciate about you, Dean. I know you've got a real heart to make disciples. You've been doing that for years, not just being a part of the church, not just sitting in the pew, not just thinking of Christianity as a Sunday morning thing, but really Being intentional about living the way that Jesus lived and uh, seeing Jesus' life as a model. I know you've impacted my life, but I just wanted to bring you on and have you have an opportunity to share a little bit. Right now, we're in the Gospel of Matthew and we've made it through the first six chapters. So, of course, the birth of Jesus, and then we're seeing uh, his interaction early on with John the Baptist. And now, of course, Yesterday, we started the Sermon on the Mount. Today, we're going to wrap that up and then really get into the mission and the ministry, the the on-the-ground stuff that Jesus was doing. And I wanted to give you a chance, like, what's something, somebody's listening to this podcast, maybe they have been going to church their whole lives, you know, maybe they uh, want to know more about who Jesus is. How can you encourage them? Uh, There's people maybe listening to this podcast who are listening from a distance, right? Um, maybe they would be a little intimidated or afraid to go to church. Uh, I wish that wasn't true, but I know that those people are out there and they're potentially listening to this podcast. Like, how could you encourage them so that they could know who the real Jesus is? Because the real Jesus doesn't really care what you look like when you come to church, right? Doesn't really care what name brand is on your clothes, doesn't really care if your hair is all in order, doesn't really care. Honestly, if you're coming to church for the first or the five millionth time, he's just after your heart. So what can you share with the listeners who are all across that spectrum?
2: Yeah, thanks, Jeff. And I I do love making disciples. That's what Jesus did. And I really think making disciples is about opening the door for everybody to enjoy Jesus not for a bunch of people to gather and watch me enjoy Jesus. Jesus is awesome. He's the most incredible man who's ever lived. And there's been a lot of amazing men, but Jesus tops them all and he wants everyone to enjoy him. And so, you know, whether it's my kids or surfers I've worked with or business associates or people at church, I want to help everyone discover how amazing Jesus is and form a friendship for themselves with him. And so I think that's why Jesus made disciples, because he wanted to love people and and be friends with them. And that's why I make disciples. And so, yeah, we're in Matthew 7, 8, 9 here. And You know, pretty quickly as you're reading in Matthew, particularly if you're listening to this in the first time you've ever taken a challenge like this and read, one of the things you've noticed right off is Jesus is the main character in this story. You may be shocked if you haven't read the New Testament before when you get to Mark and Luke and John. Jesus is still the main character in this story. But as you get into the rest of the Bible, you start to sometimes have this false impression that These are stories about other things. In fact, the Bible isn't a whole bunch of individual stories. It's actually God's way of telling one giant story that is all about Jesus. In fact, way before Jesus was ever born, a lot of the stories, all of the stories were pointing to him and about him. And one in particular that I was thinking about, because it comes from a verse that sometimes even people who aren't in church uh, have heard you know there's an old song about it and things and so maybe maybe you've heard it before but it's a it's a verse from psalm 118 and it says this is the day the lord has made let us rejoice and be glad in it and we hear that verse a lot in christianity and sometimes outside of Christianity. And it's this idea, like right now, I'm in St. Augustine, Florida. I woke up this morning. I looked out the window. I had to pinch myself that I get to live here. It was amazing. And people's response is like, what an incredible day. This is beautiful. Man, this is the day the Lord's made. We're going to rejoice over this day. But there's a question in there. What day is this verse talking about? It's not just talking about any day which it's interesting because we mainly apply this verse to really good days. When I have a crappy day, I generally am not like, hey, this is the day the Lord has made, let's rejoice. But what day is this verse talking about? And we move backwards and it says that this day, whatever this day is, the verse just before that says that it's the Lord's doing. Whatever this day is, the Lord did it. And then it says it's marvelous In our eyes, that whatever this day is, it's a special day. And we notice, we find this to be amazing. So, what day is this? Well, we back up a little further. And the day that this is describing is in verse 22 of Psalm 118. And it says, The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And then it talks about this is marvelous and that the Lord did this. And now we've moved from Jesus. To building. This is talking about building stuff and and that the general contractors looked at these two by fours or looked at this stone and said, this thing's useless. And yet God took that and made it the cornerstone of the whole building. It's like, well, wait a second. I thought we were talking about Jesus. I thought the Bible was about Jesus. Well, when we get to Tuesday, a couple days before Jesus' crucifixion, Jesus is going to say, he's going to quote this verse And he's going to say, I'm that stone that this verse is about Jesus, that this day that's being celebrated is the day that all the religious experts looked at Jesus and said, you're a punk. You're you could not be. You don't have the pedigree. You don't have the Ph.D. You didn't have the parents. You're not the guy. And they reject him. And God takes Jesus and makes him the cornerstone of his entire kingdom. Now, what we're going to find elsewhere is that that cornerstone is not just foundational. It's also the model for the whole kingdom. And so Jesus, on that Tuesday at the Temple Mount, celebrating Passover, is going to quote this verse and say, it's talking about me. It's talking about me. Later on Thursday night, interesting, Psalms are old hymns or songs of the Jewish nation. And you may know this, Jeff, as a musician, that Psalm 113 through 118 is a really famous song called the Halal. And it was sung to celebrate. There's some really neat things in these passages about God's deliverance and God's promise and different things. And so it was sung on special occasions. And most likely, it's going to tell us, you're going to read this later, so watch. Toward the end of Matthew, toward the end of Mark, toward the end of Luke and John, you're going to read about this final Passover, and it's going to say that Jesus is meeting with his guys, celebrating the Passover, and it's going to say they sang a hymn and left the room. And I don't want to be a spoiler of this story, but they left that room for Jesus to be betrayed and hung on a cross. But the psalm they sang was probably this. So Jesus, Thursday night, April 6, 30 AD, Jesus is going to sing at like one in the morning. He's going to be singing this song, and he's going to be saying, the stone the builders rejected. A couple days earlier, this is Thursday night, Tuesday afternoon, he said, I'm that stone. So now he's singing and saying the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. Except for one little nuance, Jesus understood that what that meant, the way the Father was going to make him the cornerstone of the kingdom, was to hang him on a cross. And so Jesus knew, I'm leaving this room to be betrayed and murdered. And then he sang these words, this is the day, this day, the day the The father takes the rejected stone, makes it the cornerstone. And the way he does that is by killing me for the sins of all mankind. This is the day, Jesus saying, that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. That Jesus chose to trust the father with the crappiest day in all of history. The day he would be murdered unjustly. And yet his response is, father, I'll trust you. And I will even rejoice and celebrate your plan in my life. Now, it's interesting because this is just one example of how the whole Bible is about Jesus. The the story of the Bible isn't actually a bunch of little stories. The story of the Bible has four main chapters, creation, and it answers how did we get here? God made us and he made us unique and special. Whether you sprint 5K May or roll it in a wheelchair You have been made by God and are made in his image, and you are special to him. But when we look around our world, we go, well, something surely has gone wrong. And the second chapter is that. What went wrong? What broke? And it's the story of how man rejected God and sin came into the world. Sin is something really simple. It's me like a little kid stomping my feet saying, you're not my boss, God. I can do what I want, but God loved us. Remember, we were special to him. He created us. And so there's a third chapter and it's the rescue chapter. It's we look around the world and we say, God, this world stinks. Why don't you do something about it? The third chapter is God doing something about it. He sends the rescuer that the whole story has been about. And it's Jesus. And through Jesus, there is a rescue. But when we look around the world, it's still pretty broken. That's because there's one more chapter, and it's the chapter of reconciliation when God brings everything back. And as C.S. Lewis said, all things that are terrible will become untrue, that God is going to return us through the rescuer. He has made a way that now we can return to his original creation of beauty and perfection. So the story of the Bible is really simple. It's how we got here, what went wrong, is there a fix? And what's going to happen next? That's the story of the Bible. And it's all a story of Jesus. And we've got the great privilege right now to be reading about that in Matthew 7, 8, and 9, of how Jesus is the central figure of the book of Matthew, but he's actually the central figure of the entire Bible, the stories of David and Goliath, the stories of Moses, the prophecies of Isaiah. It's all about Jesus because Jesus really is that awesome. And so This week, as we're out running, you know, one of the things I told my daughter today is, sweetheart, we were running, and she considered crying for a second because she's 11. And I said, sweetie, let's walk. Let's walk. You don't have to run. Let's walk. And so she slowed down. And I said, hey, listen, yesterday was hard, but you didn't quit, did you? And you need to know that about yourself. You didn't quit. You know what? Jesus's life was hard. In fact, the particular day from Psalm 118 was the hardest day in all of history. You know, a lot of times we ask, why do bad things happen to good people? That's only ever occurred once. And this is the day. The one person who was a really good person, bad things happened to him, but he didn't quit. And he did that on purpose because he's the rescuer. And he came to rescue me because I needed a rescue so bad. And he came to rescue you too. You're not as bad as me but you still need a rescue. And so I love to read about Jesus and I love to challenge myself in ways that I want to quit, but I'm not gonna, I'm gonna push through. And so I encourage you stick with 5K mate. You don't have to run it, walk it, crawl it. Just keep pushing forward. Don't quit. You will be glad you didn't. And I sure am glad that Jesus didn't quit because he is my only hope. If it turns out in eternity, That Jesus isn't who he said he was, then I'm out of luck because he's my only hope. But I know this, because of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, I know he is who he said he was.
1: Wow, what a good word from Dean Plumley. I hope that you enjoyed this little conversation and encouragement.
0: Hello, this is Piper Poland. Our memory verse for this week is Matthew 5.14, which says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden.
1: As we continue to walk through the Gospel of Matthew together, let's remember that God is calling us to shine His light. Chapter 7. Do not judge others, and you will not be judged, for you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite! First get rid of the log in your own eye, then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. Don't waste what is holy on people who are unholy. Don't throw your pearls to pigs. They will trample the pearls, then turn and attack you. Keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find Keep on knocking and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds, and to everyone who knocks the door will be opened. You parents, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? Or if they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him? Do to others whatever you would like them to do to you. This is the essence of all that is taught in the Law and the Prophets. You can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad and its gate is wide for the many who choose to go that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow and the road is difficult and only a few ever find it. Beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep but are really vicious wolves. You can identify them by their fruit, that is, by the way that they act. Can you pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? A good tree produces good fruit and a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. So every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and is thrown into the fire. Yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, you can identify people by their actions. Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and performed many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on a solid rock though the rain comes in torrents and the flood waters rise and the winds beat against the house it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock but anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish like a person who builds a house on sand when the rains and floods come and the winds beat against that house it will collapse with a mighty crash when jesus had finished saying these things the crowds were amazed at his teaching for he taught with real authority quite unlike their teachers of religious law. Did you know that the Bible is the best-selling book of all time? More than five billion copies of the Bible have been sold and distributed throughout the world. For a bit of context, the best-selling non-religious book of all time is Don Quixote, which has sold 500 million copies. I think that's incredible. But for all of the copies that have been sold and distributed throughout the world, it is amazing how biblically illiterate we are as a generation, and this is not good. 25 years ago, in the previous generation, if you would have asked any random person on the street to recite a verse that they know is in the Bible, they would have been most likely to recite John 3.16, which says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Now today, if you would ask any random person on the street to recite a verse that they know is in the Bible, they would most likely recite Matthew 7-1, even though they would have no idea what book, chapter, or verse they are actually quoting. So what is Matthew 7-1, you may be asking yourself? Well, it's this. Judge not, lest you be judged. Isn't that interesting? We really are living in a post-Christian world. Of course, I also think we are living in a pre-revival world, but we have to be honest about our current circumstances. Even though the Bible is the best-selling book of all time, it rarely is the most read and most applied book in our day-to-day lives. As followers of Jesus, we should make it a point to read, understand, and apply the Bible to our everyday lives. It is God's Word. It comes directly from the heart and mind of God. 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17 tells us that all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So it's important that we read the Bible often. I would say daily, but I'm really not talking about a checklist here. I mean, even during this month, we are challenging ourselves to read three chapters per day, but there's nothing keeping you from reading four or five or ten. I once heard a story about how Billy Graham would always have a Bible open on his desk. It was never closed. It was always open. The idea behind leaving it open was that so he could always and at any moment sit down and pick up where he had left off. Billy didn't see Bible reading as a daily task. He saw it as an every moment opportunity to learn and grow and become more like Jesus. So Bible reading is good, but understanding and application is even better. Now, of course, we cannot truly understand the Bible without the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. He is the one who gives us understanding of the text. So each time I read the Bible, I like to take a moment to pray and to ask God, the Holy Spirit, to give me wisdom, insight, and understanding of the text. But we don't just want wisdom, insight, and understanding either. If all we get from reading the Bible is wisdom, insight, and understanding, then we will become puffed up, and that's not good. We want to read the Bible throughout our days, asking the Holy Spirit to give us wisdom, insight, and understanding for the purpose of putting what we are learning into practice through personal application. That is the goal. Yes, we want to know God's Word. We want to hide it in our hearts, but we also want to apply God's Word. We want to be His hands and feet here on earth. Remember that we are the light of the world. You don't light a lamp and put a basket over it. You put it on a stand to light up the whole house. We are meant to read, understand, and apply the word of God in our daily lives so that others may see our good works and praise and give glory to God because of them. And that brings us back to the actual text here in Matthew 7. Yes, Jesus said very clearly that we should not judge unless we ourselves are also willing to be judged. But does that actually mean don't judge? No, it doesn't. It means don't judge unless you also are willing to be judged. It means don't have one standard for yourself and another standard for others. We are often super gracious towards ourselves and super critical towards others. Jesus is saying, don't do that. He asks, Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, Let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? The first application here is to examine yourself. When you see something going on with someone else, don't immediately assume that you are not guilty of doing the same thing, and maybe even worse. As a parent, I am super guilty of doing this, by the way. I'm not proud, but I'm willing to admit that on several occasions, I have been guilty of seeing my kids yelling at one another only to respond out of frustration by yelling, stop yelling. Do you see the foolishness in that? I do, of course, after the fact. Now, in that moment, is Jesus telling me not to judge them, to somehow just not notice that they are yelling at one another? No, of course not. He wants me to notice. He wants me to make a judgment in that situation, but he wants me to examine myself first so that I can judge in a right and a helpful way. In the same way. If you see a speck that is in your brother's eye, Jesus would want you to notice, to make a judgment that this person could use your help by removing that speck. But first, examine yourself. This is how Jesus finishes this portion of his teaching. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. That's Matthew 7, verse five. At the end of his famous Sermon on the Mount, Jesus tells a story about two builders, One builder built a house upon a solid rock and the other builder built a house upon the shifting sand. In this story, both builders experienced difficulty. Wind and rain came and crashed against both houses. The house that was built on the rock stood firm. The house that was built upon the sand came crashing down. It is a simple story, but it presents an incredibly important truth. Jesus starts the story by saying this, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like the man who built his house on the rock. And likewise, every man who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like the man who built his house upon the sand. The truth is that difficult times will come for all of us. The strong wind and heavy rain of life will come crashing against each and every one of us. It is a guarantee. But if you are the kind of person who hears the words of Jesus, which we are currently doing right now, by the way, and works to understand them through the power of the Holy Spirit, and works to actually put these words into practice in your daily life, then the storms of life will crash against you, but they'll never take you out. However, if you are the kind of person who hears the words of Jesus, which again, we are doing right now, but you don't work to understand them, or you work to understand them, but you don't actually apply them in your daily life, then the storms of life will crash against you as well, and you won't make it you will be devastated. And I don't want that for you. Jesus doesn't want that for you. I don't want that for myself either. By the grace of God, I want to be a man who not only hears the words of Jesus and not only works to understand the words of Jesus, but someone who actually lives out the words of Jesus. Chapter eight, large crowds followed Jesus and he came down the mountainside. Suddenly a man with leprosy approached him and knelt before him. Lord, the man said, if you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean. Jesus reached out and touched him. I am willing, he said, be healed. And instantly the leprosy disappeared. Then Jesus said to him, don't tell anyone about this. Instead, go to the priest and let him examine you. Take along the offering required in the law of Moses for those who have been healed of leprosy. This will be a public testimony that you have been cleansed. When Jesus returned to Capernaum, a Roman officer came and pleaded with him, Lord, my young servant lies in bed paralyzed and in terrible pain. And Jesus said, I will come and heal him. But the officer said, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come into my home. Just say the word from where you are and my servant will be healed. I know this because I am under the authority of my superior officers and I have authority over my soldiers so I only need to say go and they go or come and they come and if I say to my slaves do this then they do it And when Jesus heard this he was amazed turning to those who were following him he said I tell you the truth I haven't seen faith like this in all Israel. And I tell you this, many Gentiles will come from all over the world, from east and west, and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob at the feast in the kingdom of heaven. But many Israelites, those for whom the kingdom was prepared, will be thrown into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the Roman officer, Go back home, because you believed it has happened. And the young servant was healed that same hour. When Jesus arrived at Peter's house, Peter's mother-in-law was sick in bed with a high fever. But when Jesus touched her hand, the fever left her. Then she got up and prepared a meal for him. That evening, many demon-possessed people were brought to Jesus. He cast out the evil spirits with a simple command, and he healed all the sick. This fulfilled the word of the Lord through the prophet Isaiah, who said, He took our sicknesses and removed our diseases. When Jesus saw the crowd around him, he instructed his disciples to cross to the other side of the lake. Then one of the teachers of religious law said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. But Jesus replied, Foxes have dens to live in and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place even to lay his head. Another of his disciples said, Lord, let me first return home and bury my father. But Jesus told him, Follow me now. Let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. Then Jesus got into the boat and started across the lake with his disciples. Suddenly, a fierce storm struck the lake with waves breaking into the boat, but Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him up, shouting, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. Jesus responded, why are you afraid? You have so little faith. Then he got up and rebuked the wind and waves, and suddenly there was a great calm. The disciples were amazed. Who is this man? They asked Even the winds and waves obey him. When Jesus arrived on the other side of the lake, in the region of the Gadarenes, two men who were possessed by demons met him. They came out of the tombs and were so violent that no one could go through that area. They began screaming at him, Why are you interfering with us, Son of God? Have you come here to torture us before God's appointed time? There happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding in the distance. So the demons begged, if you cast us out, send us into that herd of pigs. All right, go, Jesus commanded them. So the demons came out of the men and entered the pigs and the whole herd plunged down the steep hillside into the lake and drowned in the water. The herdsmen fled to the nearby town, telling everyone what had happened to the demon-possessed men. Then the entire town came out to meet Jesus but they begged him to go away and leave them alone. We are clearly moving into a new section of the Gospel of Matthew. In chapters 5 through 7, we were looking at the teaching of Jesus, specifically through his words in the Sermon on the Mount. Now we're moving into a section in which Matthew is going to focus on the mission of Jesus, which he is actively modeling for those who are following him with the purpose of handing that mission off to them. One of the first stories in this section is possibly one of the most powerful. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came up to him. Now keep in mind that a centurion was a Roman soldier, so it is already a bit strange that a Roman soldier would approach a Jewish preacher like this. But the centurion appealed to Jesus as Lord and asked for Jesus to heal his servant who was lying paralyzed at home and suffering terribly. This is also a bit strange. We typically think of the big bad Roman centurions as rough and tough warriors who don't care about anyone but themselves. But here we have a Roman warrior who approached a Jewish preacher on behalf of his friend, and not just any friend, but his servant. Jesus offered to go to where the servant was suffering so he could heal him, but the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me, and I say to one, Go, and he goes, and to another, Come, and he comes, and to my servant, Do this, and he does it. Now, this Roman warrior centurion seems to have a better understanding of who God is and of what Jesus was sent here on earth to do than most of the Jewish people around him, especially more than the Jewish religious leaders. When Jesus heard the man, he marveled and said to those who followed him, "'Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion Jesus said, "'Go, let it be done for you as you have believed.' And the servant was healed at that very moment." Now, this story stretches my faith and expands my vision. This centurion was an outsider, while those who were essentially born on the inside totally missed it. This man was born on the outside and saw clearly. This should serve as a warning for anyone who grew up in the church. Just because you grew up hearing about God, or in many cases, learning how to tune out those boring old stories about God that you had to hear over and over again— That doesn't mean that you actually know God. You can't know God by being born into a family that knows God. Sure, being born into a family that knows God should give you a head start, but that's not how this whole salvation thing and knowing Jesus works. My kids, for instance, will not enter the kingdom of heaven based upon my faith in Jesus. They will have to place their own faith in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. They will have to form their own relationship with Jesus. Now, thankfully, they have, but you get the point that I'm trying to make here. So this story should serve as a warning for anyone who grew up in the church as an insider, but it should also serve as an encouragement for anyone who did not grow up in the church, who might think of themselves as being a bit of an outsider, like the centurion most certainly was. If you did not grow up in the church, or if you grew up following another religion, possibly, or no religion at all— that does not have to keep you from coming into a saving knowledge of who Jesus really is. Ecclesiastes 3.17 says that God has put eternity into the hearts of men. Like the centurion, deep inside, you know the truth. You know that God is real. You know that Jesus is God's only son and that he alone can save you and bring you into a right relationship with God the Father. Deep down, you know that because God embedded that knowledge deep into your heart. Jesus came to restore our broken relationship with God. Even if you were born an outsider, you can put your faith in Jesus Christ alone for salvation and be welcomed inside the kingdom of heaven. And that is some good news right there. But the other thing that challenges me so much in this story is how the centurion cared so much for his servant I want you to take a moment and consider your prayer life. Are you asking God for big things? Are you asking Him for selfish things? Or are you pleading with Him on behalf of someone else? Now, I'm not saying that God doesn't want to answer our prayers for ourselves or our circumstances. He does. Please, by all means, make your requests be made known to God. However, I think He loves, and maybe even a little bit more, to answer our prayers on behalf of someone else. I get the sense here in this story that Jesus genuinely enjoyed meeting the request of this centurion on behalf of his servant. Chapter nine, Jesus climbed into a boat and went back across the lake to his own town. Some people brought him a paralyzed man on a mat. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, "'Be encouraged, my child, your sins are forgiven.'" But some of the teachers of religious law said to themselves, that's blasphemy. Does he think he's God? Jesus knew what they were thinking. So he asked them, why do you have such evil thoughts in your hearts? Is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or stand up and walk? So I will prove to you that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, stand up, pick up your mat and go home. And the man jumped up and went home. Fear swept through the crowd as they saw this happen, and they praised God for giving humans such authority. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up and followed him. Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. But when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with such scum? When Jesus heard this, he said, Healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. Then he added, Now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. For I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners." One day the disciples of John the Baptist came to Jesus and asked him, Why don't your disciples fast like we do and like the Pharisees do? Jesus replied, Do wedding guests mourn while celebrating with the groom? Of course not. But someday the groom will be taken away from them and they will fast then. Besides, who would patch old clothing with new cloth? For the new patch would shrink and rip away from the old cloth, leaving an even bigger tear than before. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. For the old skins would burst from the pressure, spilling the wine and ruining the skins. New wine is stored in new wineskins so that both are preserved. As Jesus was saying this, the leader of a synagogue came and knelt before him. My daughter has just died, he said, but you can bring her back to life again if you just come and lay your hand on her. So Jesus and his disciples got up and went with him. Just then, a woman who had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding came up behind him. She touched the fringe of his robe, for she thought, "'If I can just touch his robe, I will be healed.' Jesus turned around, and when he saw her, he said, "'Daughter, be encouraged. Your faith has made you well.'" And the woman was healed at that moment. When Jesus arrived at the official's home, he saw the noisy crowd, and he heard the funeral music. "'Get out,' he told them. "'The girl isn't dead. She's only asleep.'" But the crowd laughed at him. After the crowd was put outside, however, Jesus went in and took the girl by the hand, and she stood up. The report of this miracle swept through the entire countryside. After Jesus left the girl's home, two blind men followed along behind him shouting, Son of David, have mercy on us. They went right into the house where he was staying, and Jesus asked them, do you believe I can make you see? Yes, Lord, they told him, we do. Then he touched their eyes and said, "'Because of your faith, it will happen.' Then their eyes were opened and they could see. Jesus sternly warned them, "'Don't tell anyone about this.' But instead they went out and spread his fame all over the region. When they left, a demon-possessed man who couldn't speak was brought to Jesus. So Jesus cast out the demon and the man began to speak. The crowds were amazed. "'Nothing like this has ever happened in Israel,' they exclaimed. But the Pharisees said, He can cast out demons because he is empowered by the prince of demons. Jesus traveled through all the towns and villages of that area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. So he said to his disciples, The harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest, ask him to send more workers into his fields. Now two things really stand out to me from this chapter. Well, I mean, admittedly there are way more than two things, but no one wants this podcast to be several hours long and it's already longer than normal. So I'll just touch on two things. First, after eight whole chapters chock full of content, we finally get to meet the writer of the Gospel of Matthew. And how it gets placed is pretty hilarious to me. Here it is in all of its fullness, tucked between verse eight and verse 10. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. That's Matthew nine, verse nine. And that's it, that's all we get. Does anyone else get the sense that Matthew's gospel is just plain not about Matthew? Matthew did not waste precious time and energy talking about himself. He wanted to talk about Jesus. I think the only reason that he even bothered to tuck this verse in there was because in verses 10 through 13, he is telling a story about the time that he invited Jesus to dine at his house. Here's how Luke retells the story himself. It says, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples and said, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners, to repentance. That's Luke 5, verses 27 through 32, and we'll get to that soon enough. But notice that Luke calls Matthew by the name of Levi. Mark does as well. But Matthew and Levi are the same person. Most likely, Levi was Matthew's name given to him at birth. Matthew then, which means gift of Yahweh or gift of God, was likely the name given to him by Jesus. It was not uncommon for God to give people a different name at a pivotal point in their life. Abram became Abraham. Jacob was given the name Israel. Simon was given the name Peter. Saul became Paul. And it is likely that Levi was given the name Matthew. Again, what is interesting about this is that Matthew refers to himself by the name that was likely given to him by Jesus. That is how he saw himself. He was important to the story only to the extent that Jesus made him important to the story. No more and no less. You kind of have to love that humility, don't you? I mean, what if we lived that way? What if we lived our lives thinking of ourselves exactly as God thinks of us? Not more important than we think we are, but certainly not less important than we really are. What if we determined to play our part exactly as God would have us play our part? How would that simple act change the world? After all, God has a plan and a purpose for our lives. He has a plan to prosper us and not to harm us, to give us a future and a hope. What if we just determined to live out his plan and purpose for our lives and not our own plan and purpose? And that question brings me to the second thing that sticks out to me from Matthew 9. Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. And then when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Do we notice the crowds? Do we have compassion for them like Jesus did? Do we get frustrated and irritated with them because they are acting so foolishly? Or do we have compassion for them realizing that they are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd? Jesus noticed them, and he said to his disciples, those who were following him, and I think to us, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest field. Jesus is calling us to notice. He's calling us to care. He's calling us to join him in praying to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field people who will be the hands and the feet of Jesus and point others to his goodness and grace. He is the shepherd that they are so desperately needing. Would you join Jesus in praying for the harvest of souls, that those who don't know him would come into a saving relationship with him? And would you join me in being willing to go, to be a worker in the harvest field? As we leave with that thought today, I want to send you out with a song from Poland Band from the Seasons CD, and the song is called No Matter the Cost.
0: What can we do to make a difference in this world? Can we really touch a life? Can we show them Jesus Christ? What can we give? We have nothing on our own. Let us be your hands and feet And may we follow where you lead Give us your light so we can shine like the stars Pour out your love on us, Lord, give us your heart Let us unite to serve the broken and lost We give our lives to you no matter the cost, no matter the cost. Why can we pray to see your kingdom come? The harvest fields are ripe. Oh God, we need your light. Give us your light so we can shine like the stars. And pour out your love on us, Lord. your love on us, Lord, give us your heart. Let us unite to serve the broken and lost. We give our lives to you no matter the cost.